Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hey writers, we here at the Writer Experience Podcast want to thank all of our listeners and guests for helping us reach over 150 episodes. That's a lot of writing knowledge spread out over three years. And as a way of welcoming new listeners and helping our current listeners rediscover old favorites, we're going to start airing select episodes one week per month. We hope that these writer selects bring some new insight and inspiration to all of our fans and help us celebrate many more episodes to come. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Ed Brisson. Ed is a Marvel exclusive writer, uh, best known for Iron Fist, Old Man Logan, Extermination. The list of his works goes on. Ed, welcome to the show. You want to start off by telling us uh, where you are in the world? That you're from, you're in uh, British Columbia, no? Yeah, I'm in British Columbia for three more weeks, two more weeks, not much longer. Uh, I've lived here for about thirty years, but uh, just recently decided to uh, relocate to the other coast, so moving to Nova Scotia. Wow! Uh, for August first, uh, I'm driving there, so it's going to be an awesome week long road trip with two dogs, a cat, and a kid in the truck. Wow. And what sparked that decision to, to move across the, from one coast to the other? It's, there's a couple reasons. Uh, primarily, I've always wanted to live in Halifax. I was a really big fan of the um, music scene there back in the 90s. I actually tried moving there in the 90s, uh, sold all my possessions, and hopped on a Greyhound bus and decided to see the country uh, through Greyhound bus, which is not half as cool as it sounds. It's the worst <laughs> way to travel. And then I got to Ontario and found out that the Greyhound bus stops in Montreal and it didn't go through most of Quebec. So I kind of got stranded in Ontario and stayed there for a year and never made it to Halifax that time. So this is me sort of making good on that promise from the 90s. But also it's just um, this is like a, a cost of living thing. The, the cost of living in Halifax, like housing costs and stuff, much, much lower. Like buy house uh, versus BC which is incredibly, incredibly high. Right, uh, right. Just being a freelance writer, I, one of the things I like to do is just kind of keep my cost of living low. So there's just that, uh, like that much less that I have to worry about. And you're writing full time. That's your, that's mm-hmm. like your bread and butter. Cool. So normally uh, we like to ask our guests, you know, historically we've talked about, you know, what's your origin and, and, and what, what's your process and kind of go through your life. But lately we've been doing a kind of series of, of writing one-on-one from the perspective of different writers. So um, hoping you'd be down to kind of school us on uh, how to write a comic book one-on-one. Okay. Yeah. I'll do my best. All right. So let's start off with uh, the inception of an idea. What, when you're sitting down and saying, I want to write a comic book. How does that start? You have an idea in your head or are you, I'm writing specifically for Marvel now. So I, I have to go and take this, uh, this story and kind of research it and that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely depends if it's a project I'm doing as a creator on project, which is, would be like me and an artist say, generally I'll get struck with an idea at some point. I'll write it down. Uh, I'll play around with it sometimes for years. Uh, my next creator on project, which will be up next year, is an idea that's sort of been simmering for about five years. And I just like slowly sort of come back to it periodically, play around with it, develop it a bit more. If it's something from Marvel, which actually is something specifically I've been doing this weekend, if it's a, a newer project, I'll generally go back and read as much of uh, the previous work with that character or those characters usually starting with sort of the the more seminal stuff and then going back to the beginning when those characters are introduced and sort of making my way through as much as possible. In the case of some characters, it's impossible to read everything. Logan, I I can't go back and read every (laughs) Wolverine comic. There's just thousands upon thousands. You know, luckily growing up, I'd read most of those uh, and I have a, a very good working knowledge of the character. But, um, yeah, usually that's my 
process when I when I'm offered something, you know, and let, just for the sake of argument, uh, and, and this is not the case, but let's just say that they had offered me a speedball book just so I could, just to have a character to, that we can talk about. I would go back then and just read everything on speedball that I can, every speedball appearance that I could, you know, within reason, uh, starting with like usually the most well-known, and like I said, go back to the origins. And I, I kind of like what I tend to like to do is like pick up old story threads that maybe got dropped or things that were, that had happened in the past that were never fully developed and sort of play around with those a little bit. Interesting. Uh, I just, just, I usually just keep batting around like about a million ideas until I can, um, zero in on one. Usually for my publisher, I'll have to send them like three or four, maybe five different ideas that I want to work on. Uh, sometimes they'll pick one of those. Sometimes they'll kick it back and none of them work for them. So I got to go back to the drawing board. And is, is that book by book or is that like arc? Are you looking at like, okay, I want to do this story from like 10 comic books or is it specific to one at a time? It's usually, uh, it's usually arcs. So okay. sometimes I'll come in and have an idea just for the, the first arc and then where they're going to sort of go, what their trajectory will be after that arc. Sometimes it'll just be closed arc, like five issues. The story's done. You know, if we're doing another, like a six issue, then we can figure out from there. And sometimes you want to do like a, the 20 issue thing. Uh, unfortunately with comics these days, you know, you don't always get 20 issues, you know, you, you kind of five issues. Is like right. The, uh, it's a kind of thing. It, it's a, it's a nice number that you know, you can get to. And it's, it's sort of walking that fine line between uh, being able to tell a story that has impact and also not leaving the reader in the lurch. So having those sort of, a sense of closure every five issues at least you know you're not going to leave a reader stranded is there a handoff process does is the previous writer say hey this is where we left it left it off and then do you hand it then off or sometimes it all depends on on sort of how open the end is uh and i've taken over a couple books now from writers who've been working on it up until you know the issue before mine and usually it's a really quick conversation sometimes that it doesn't always happen with the writer. Sometimes the editor uh, has an idea of where they want to go. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the writer before you ends it at a place that you can basically just pick up and, and start fresh, you know, start a whole new story without having the baggage of what, what they've already uh, brought to it. Is there a pressure to like continue where the previous writer's intentions led or can you, or you say, Oh, well, they left it here so I can kind of take it in wherever direction I want. Yeah, it's kind of a case by case. Uh, sometimes a writer wanted to, you know, a, a previous writer may have wanted to start going a different direction uh, than what you see it going. And in that case, a lot of times, like the editor, you just discuss it with the editor and uh, go over it. I think for me, I never want to step on what a previous writer has done. So even if I want to go in a different direction, I don't want to do anything to invalidate anything that they've written. You know, you want to you want to make sure that everything they've written matters. Uh, just as much as you would hope that another writer would uh, make sure that everything you've written matters. And what is the lineage like for, let's say you take over, like a, well, obviously like a Wolverine story, right? There's uh-huh. so many writers, right? Have you ever like tried to count how many there were, or is are there usually uh, not was, that many? I was lucky in terms of Old Man Logan in that uh, it's a different version of Wolverine who's come from right. the future to our present. So uh, the lineage there uh, was just three writers before me, which is uh, Mark Miller, Brian Michael Bendis, and Jeff Lemire. Uh, unfortunately for me, they're like three very big writers. Right, yeah, for sure. So there was a lot of, that was my first sort of series that I'd taken over at Marvel from another writer, so it was a lot of pressure. But um, that, it was a little bit easier. When I did Cable, there definitely had been, you know, dozens of writers who'd worked on Cable in the past, and, and you know, they all sort of left their impression, changed the character, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, from book to book. So, you know, there is that sort of uh, pressure. But I think usually you can sort of read through what everyone's done and find something that works for you that doesn't, again, doesn't step on anything that anyone else has done. And you were talking about uh, like a five-book uh, arc. When you were writing a five-book arc, let's dive into the actual, like when you start writing it. Are you starting from beginning point, end point, and working your way through the middle? What does that look like? And kind of what's your process for all the bullet points in between? 
Yeah, it's usually just like uh, I'll come up with you know a kernel of an idea and just start sort of building around it. Uh, usually adding just everything. Like the you know first time around, it's like a kitchen sink sort of thing where I'll add just everything I can think of that would be interesting to fill it up to five issues and then go through and start weeding it out and, and getting down to the core ideas. But I always try and have that you know that beginning. I try and have the end point and try and figure out like what the character journey is through those five issues as well, like where, where that character is ending up on the, on the, on the fifth issue that hopefully you know, we get issue six through 10 and we're doing another arc. I have somewhere to bring and somewhere, something to play with beyond that. Uh, it's not just, you know, riding a character into a fight, having them beat the bad guy. Right. You know, end of story. I do like to have long lasting implications for sure. And what does that outline look like? That's like a, you know, Google drive document. That's a, you're writing that I, literally I, I, down or. Yeah, I work initially on paper with pen. So I sit uh, like I've been just reading comics all weekends. Like yesterday, I read 50 issues. I'm planning to do the same today, and it's all wow. characters that I plan on using in an upcoming project. So I'll write, uh, I'll read, and just keep that pen and paper next to me and just make notes, right? And then I'll, I'll, uh, I have like just looking around my desk right now. I've got like seven pads of lined paper. Uh, just wherever, and usually what I'll do is write down a bunch of ideas in one, and I take a second pad, and then start distilling those ideas into like to story points, uh, crossing up the, the stuff that doesn't work, etc. And then I'll grab a third piece and just rewrite that, and just I kind of keep doing that, rewriting it over and over again on pen and paper, scribbling stuff out, and and trying to come up with you know a structure for five five issues. But it's a lot of like gobbledygook, a lot of mm-hmm. like just like diarrhea on the page. Really, it's just <laughs> it's just me getting as much down initially, and then and then just trying to cut it back into something that looks like a five issue thing that that has enough intrigue and enough action and enough like character moments to work uh, for for the full five issues. And what is that final? Uh, I'm assuming that the last piece that you put together is like the the full five comic yeah. book arc. That's going yeah. to the editor. What does that look like? That's a yeah, that so you have to type up. Normally, what happens is from there, I'll type uh, sort of like a one page thing. It's supposed to be one page thing. Sometimes it's. I feel like one page like, is quite short, right? For for a five episode quite arc. Short, yeah, and I find that like I'm I'm a terrible salesman. I think. <laughs> I, I wish I could be at the point in my career where I could just like email an editor like I want to do the you know A B C trust me it'll work um, <laughs> not close there yet but usually it's like a couple pages and you know this is what happens in issue one this is where you, know, you usually want some sort of cliffhanger end number two number three number four number five just sort of repeat that send them a long document usually a lot of back and forth with the editor until we get it to a shape that Marvel want is happy with it and then from there I. Um, that's right, because the whole beginning process for me is incredibly messy. Like, my pitches are, are like, they, they just, sometimes I feel like they look like the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just trying to distill what I want to do. But then when I get to the second half, when I actually start writing, it changes, and I become, like, weirdly OCD-level organized, where uh, I start doing outlines where I have spreadsheets that's, like, you know, it's page one, a description of what happens on page one, some dialogue, whatever, how many panels that might be, and how you know what scene number uh, number of the scenes down the right hand side, just so I know how many scenes we've got going on. Uh, and that's just a way visually for me to track if I think a scene might be going on for too long. And then usually I'll send that off to my editor after they've signed off on sort of the arc outline with the five issue outline. I do like a page by page breakdown. Then once that's signed off. They send it back to me, and then I start writing the script from there. And uh, this, the, the whole process, I can never tell how long it takes from start to finish. Usually the longest part is between them offering me you know, a book like we want you to write. Again, we'll just use Speedball as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope there's no Speedball fans out there who get excited thinking there's a Speedball book coming because there's not. But like, I would, you know, from the time that they offer it to me to the time that you know we have a pitch and then an outline that's ready to go that can be like two to three months wow so it can be a bit of a, a stretch but during that time i'm writing other books i've got other stuff on the go from the time that the pitch is approved and i start doing the single issue outlines and writing the single issues uh between the 
issue outline and the actual issue, that can be anywhere from two to four weeks an issue. Uh, there's some in some series I'm turning around scripts once every three weeks, so it gets it gets much faster afterwards, which is why I sort of adopted this much more organized and, and uh, mm-hmm. sort of anal approach to the second half of that process. At what point is the artist? Does the artist get involved? Is that early for you, or is that you know come a little bit later? Where in that kind of uh, on Marvel books, it is usually once the first script is being worked on. Uh, they'll bring in an artist sometimes a little bit earlier. Sometimes once the outline's approved, they'll bring in the artist. I usually like to know who the artist is just because I like to have conversations with the artist uh, directly just so we can get on the same page. And then sometimes, you know, like I, I want to hear what the artist wants to see as well uh, so that I can sort of write a bit to them, like write for what they want to draw. So if they really like drawing an example uh, uh, one on old man logan and he's a really big fan of doing like big action double page spreads so you know i made sure to include some of those in the script so that he you know, he had some stuff that he he could sink his teeth into and and for me you know between an artist and a writer it's a collaborative process and i want to i want the book to feel as collaborative as possible so yeah usually usually about the outline stage sometimes as late as i'm writing the script and i don't even know who's drawing it at that point there's a, a dance of sorts, right, between you, the, the artist, and the editor. How many times would you say, like, is that like a you're talking to the artist, then you're talking to the editor, is, and then it's going back and forth several, several, several times? Or what does that process look like? Usually with the editor, I'll hand off the script to the editor, and then they'll start conversing with the artist. Usually I'm looped in when the art starts coming in and stuff like that, so I can make notes on, like, thumbnails, uh, which would be, like, the rough drawings of each page while the editor's making notes as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty decent, it, it's, you know, it's a fine process. Sometimes I, I'm not always fully included. I, I don't get to see things until late, but that's very rare. Usually I'm kept in the, in the email loop with the artist and the, and the editors. And it's, it's fine. Like, I've never had really any big, like, headbutting mm-hmm. sort of moments uh, during that. There's, there's one or two artists I've worked with in the past where, you know, we don't really see eye to eye. We're not, we're like coming from very different places, which can be tough when you're, when you're working on a book. But at the same time, you know, there is a bit of give that you have to, you know, you have to allow when you're working on a collaborative project, um, that it's not my book because I'm writing it. It's our book. The artist and writer is right. We're working together. And like I said, sometimes you, you have two people who just don't see eye to eye. And, um, it can be a little bit difficult. I'm not a super combative person. I, I really like to pick my battles. So, you know, I'm not going to fight over every little thing. I, I kind of save it up for the important stuff. But yeah, I can't think of any time where I've really had much of an issue. You were talking about the comic book script. Um, describe to us who don't know, who may, who may not know what that script looks like. Because we know uh film formats and and some other formats but how does what does this comic book script look like well the one thing about comic book scripts is there is no (laughs) uh, so it's not like film where film has um like a very rigid template i've often heard comic book scripts described as a letter from the writer to the artist which seems like the most apt and, and appropriate description of it that said my I have a fairly rigid format that I follow on mine, which is just, um, and, and just as, as a quick aside, if anybody wants to see a comic book script, they can go, there's a website called comicbookscriptarchive.com, I believe. Just type comic book script archive into, into the Googles and it'll bring you there. That has a, a ton of different formats for scripts. But generally what I do is it's page one, then, you know, at the header, then beneath, you know, I'll, Break it down into how many panels we have, and then, you know, like, say there's six panels. I'll do you know, at the top. It'll say page one, and then in parentheses six panels, just so the artist knows. Then panel one, I'll just describe what's happening in the scene, what you know, where the people are, who the important players are, who's talking. Usually, like film, your first new panel in any uh, new scene is going to be some sort of establishing shot, like, you know, either the exterior of the building or some sort of item inside to sort of bring the reader into it. Yeah, then just describe the scene. Then you usually have the dialogue beneath, you know, divided up by speaker and by balloon. 
And then, you know, just panel two, same, and then just repeat as necessary. Uh, a lot of times with a comic book script, I will throw in a lot of photo reference as well for the artist. If there's a specific type of location or a specific look I need for something, I'll throw in a lot of a lot of photograph, which is not something you see a lot in film scripts. So it varies, varies there. And typically for like a 20, like at most comics are 20 pages, and typically my scripts, I think, come in at about 36 type pages, something like that. Per book? Per, per issue, yeah. Per issue, okay. Issue, Got it. Like about a 36-page script. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. And as far as, um, you know, when you look at things uh, like characters, dialogue, backstory, uh, action, are there, is there a particular category there that you prefer writing or do you kind of enjoy the entire process as is? I enjoy the, the entire process. I... I like to think that I, I'm more of like a, a dialogue guy. That I like for me, I, I like more the uh, the internal struggles that the characters are dealing with, like the how this sort of, especially with superheroes, you're going around punching people all the time. Right. Uh, it can it can get really dull. It can get uh, it, it definitely repetitive, but it just like you become numb to it. So I like to deal with. Uh, what the, the characters themselves are going through, what sort of, uh, I don't know, with old man Logan right now, one of the things he's dealing with is he's, he's realized that he is probably dying. Uh, he's dealing with like a, he's hundred, he's a couple hundred years old, but you know, he's like a 70, 80 year old man who has been like boxing his entire life. His body's just failing. him, Right. And he's got all these sort of, um, these things he wants to tie up before he goes. So a lot of it's about like his own, his own struggle dealing with, with old age, dealing with like his failing body, dealing with sort of these, uh, these tragedies that's left behind, uh, and trying to, trying to sort of fix things a little bit before he goes. So there's just like a, a lot of like internal story meat to play with there, uh, with him. And, and that's the sort of stuff I'm more generally more excited about than, you know, people punching out planets or whatever they're doing. Right. And I'm assuming, did you do a lot of research into age and aging and, and how that affects you as you get old and that kind of thing? Or Yeah, like I, do, like I have done. And, you know, I, I, one of the benefits I have is, is knowing some older people who are maybe going through this process. Right. You know, my, uh, my mother years ago worked at an old age home. So, like, you know, always able to bug her for information and stuff as well. But yeah, just reading up on that. And I'll, like, you know, it's, it's something that I think that anyone over the age of probably, you know, 35 starts thinking about pretty heavily. Like the older you get, you start thinking about this sort of stuff. And uh, so it, it's always there. But yeah, I've done, I've done enough research that I, I, you know, I feel solid on knowing what I'm talking about, but not so much that it, it's, it, uh, it feels like textbook stuff, you know. I, wa- I wanted to feel a little bit fresh. So, using uh, Old Man Logan as an example, 
you're in this case working for an established franchise, you're working for Marvel. Are there, I'm assuming there are more rules, there's more of a process. How does that compare to working on something on your own? Are there more uh, expectations yeah. from fans? And Certainly. One of the things I found about you know working at Marvel is like everybody has their own favorite characters. Everybody's got, um, as much as you think you know a character and know their history, there's definitely someone out there who knows it better, right? Wow. And like every so often, you'll, you know, you write something and they'll, I cannot think of a specific example off the top of my head, but the character will say something and they're like, well, this character, or what they said is not true because in X-Man 148, page 18, panel four, where Wolverine says this, which is counter to what you have him saying here, how do you explain that? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, you know, you're dealing with, uh, with Marvel Comics, you're dealing with, you know, what, nearly 80 years of continuity. And that, you know, sometimes it feels like handcuffs that can uh, really sort of um, trip you up if you, if you, like, I almost say if you think about it too much, because I don't want it to sound like I'm not trying to keep things within continuity, keep things canon, but, you know, it definitely can feel like people are, are, are looking to poke holes in it. Whereas, when I'm working on something that's my own, that's, you know, me and an artist are working on together, you know, it's fresh, it's brand new. We created this. Right. We know more about it than anybody. And there's there's a bit quite a bit of freedom thinking that. But weirdly I think with the continuity and stuff, there is a certain amount of freedom in having those sort of boundaries that you can and can't do. I think it pushes you to be more creative. Uh, but you know, with the uh, with the creator on stuff, you can just do whatever. You know, if at the end of the one issue, I want to blow up the world for no reason, we could do that. You know, I can't do that in, in the Marvel book. So they're just, you know, I think they just scratch two different itches while doing essentially the same kind of thing. Right. So outside of the writing process itself, um, obviously working for Marvel now, um, you've worked on your own books. The process of networking, building relationships—that's a key part of being a writer you joked earlier that you like weren't the greatest at like selling but obviously you're working for marvel so you know you've had some experience you're good at that what are your insights for those listening as far as the the networking process and getting your foot in the door and kind of getting to that point this is a this is a point and i'm gonna go back to me being terrible as, a, as someone who sells himself i i honestly don't have an answer for that um because i am not a good networker <laughs> i i'm terrible at it just when i'm I'm good around people that I know when I'm around people who I don't know, I tend to just sort of clam up a little bit and, and be more introverted, which is not how I would normally describe myself, but around new people, you know, I, I, I definitely get that. So I was never really good at networking. My advice is, and I just really quickly will go over like my journey to how I got. Yeah. Which is, that was my uh, next question. So this will tie into the networking question. Yeah, perfect. So, I initially wanted to be a comic book artist. I didn't want to be a comic book writer. I wanted to be an artist. And um, I was living in Kelowna, which is where I am living for the next three more weeks in the, in the 90s, pre-internet. And I was trying to find a writer who could write scripts that I could draw, who could self-publish comics. And I met two different guys locally, I think through the, the local comic shops, uh, who wanted to be writers, who didn't want to be artists. And, um, you know, I met with them at, uh, each separately to talk about, you know, sort of projects we could work on. And in both cases, they, they, weirdly, they both had, like, interchangeable personalities and that they were, were kind of jerks, very, like, weirdly arrogant and, and, and full of themselves but also terrible writers. Um, like I read the scripts and they weren't good. And like immediately I could tell that it was going to be an unpleasant situation if I did books with these guys because like the, their ego was just incredible. And especially for people who hadn't done anything. So at that point I decided I would just start writing scripts for myself because if I, you know, if I wanted to draw terrible scripts, I could just write terrible scripts. That's not hard. And so that was 1990. I want to say. And so from sometime in 94, I self-published a comic with a few friends that I'd uh, written and drawn. And um, I sort of kept down that path. I did mini comics and web comics and any sort of like 
uh, self-publishing I could do for 16 years. So from 94 uh, till 2010, I was writing and drawing everything myself. I was lettering, coloring, and everything. I would self-publish like mini comics. Like you know, you go down to Kinko's and you photocopy them, like sell them out of my backpack at local liquor shops, all that sort of stuff. And then in 2010, I was turning 35, and I was having this like moment where I was kind of looking back at everything that I'd done and how I'd wanted to be this artist and wasn't getting it. Just wasn't working. I also realized that I really liked writing and really hated drawing. And I think I was just chasing it because I'd sunk so much time into it that right. I felt like that's what I should be doing is drawing because I'd spent 16 years, I'd gone to, you know, fine arts in school to become an artist. And I just, I just hated it. So in 2010, I decided I wasn't going to draw anymore. I was just going to write. And I started doing a series called Murder Book, which was um, a series of short crime stories. You know, they range anywhere from five to 22 pages. And the thinking behind that was I just wanted to do comics that I wanted to read. And so I'm a really big fan of like darker stuff, crime stories I love. And so I started writing these short crime stories and I would meet up with different artists. Uh, this is one place where having been, uh, you know, having drawn comics for 16 years gave me an advantage because I already knew a bunch of artists from that whole thing. So there was friends that I could reach out to and just say, hey, I got this comic I wrote, would you want to draw it? You know, I, I was able to scrape together like a meager page rate to pay them. And I started publishing these comics called uh, Murder Book, uh, which you can still find online, murderbookcomic.com, I believe. And uh, I would just post them up online when they were finished, so you get the whole story. And i just tweet about it or whatever. And it was actually through those comics that I started to get some attention, like Murder Book seems to do really well. I got attention from you know uh, someone over at uh, Image, uh, Skybound Image, contacted me and asked me to start submitting stuff to them. You know, I, some other editors had reached out to me from from you know Boom and, and IDW and such. Uh, my biggest break came from my biggest break was probably I, I met up with Michael Walsh, who's a guy who I liked his art. We did a, a, a bunch of pitches together, and we got one picked up by Image, which came out in 2012. It was a series called Comeback, and then that. So 2013, March 2013, I was at a show called C2E2 in Chicago, which is a comic book convention. And I had had print copies of Murder Book that I brought along with me. And being in Canada and doing a show in the U.S., I try never to bring books back with me. So I was trying to bring as much of it I can just sell at the store, at the show. And at, at the very end of the show, I had like three issues of Murder Book left, issue one, two, and three. And I was just packing up my table, and there was a woman walking by, and I just said, hey, you know, I'm going back to Canada. I want to bring these with me. Do you want some free comic books? And she, she said, yeah, she took them. You know, I didn't think anything of it until about two months later, she emailed me, and I didn't know when I handed her the books that this woman was an editor for Marvel. Whoa, that's crazy. And so she had bought them back, read them, liked them and then offered me like a two issue fill in on a book called secret Avengers. And, uh, that I will say, I will, I'll, I think I sort of fluffed that whole thing. Like I, I was doubting myself so much that I, I think I, that work is not as strong as, as it should have been. So I did that for Marvel and then it was like another two years before they offered me anything else. And then I got like a 10 page story somewhere. And then it was like another year before I got, um, Bullseye was a five issue mini that they gave me. So, yeah, that that was none of what I got was like really through networking. It was through a lot of luck, but also just from putting the work in there. You know, I, I continued to do Murder Book online. Dark Horse came along; they wanted to collect it into a print edition, which they did. And that print edition ended up on Axel Alonso, who was the former editor chief at Marvel. That ended up on his desk. He happens to be a big crime fan, too. He read it, liked it, and, and got an editor at Marvel to put me on Bullseye. So it's, for me, it was all just happenstance. But, like, the happenstance wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been doing the work, if I hadn't been putting stuff out there. And I think for comics especially, it's much, much more important 
to do the work. Just start making comics, putting them out there. Uh, when you're starting out, my advice is always just to do short stuff, five pages, 10 pages, 20 pages, whatever. You just get it out there online for free. You can still print it and sell it at shows. People will still buy it even if they read it online for free. And um, yeah, just sort of start building your name by doing the work. And I think when you talk to most people who are working in comics today, most writers anyway, the common thread that you'll find is almost all of them were self-publishing work and putting it out there before being picked up uh, by Marvel or by Image or by whoever it was. Wow. So definitely a big takeaway on uh, that con. For anybody who's listening, you never know who's going to read your work just in general or even if you're talking about it. or, or Right? Isn't that it's crazy? Going to cons is definitely a good thing. Like, get out to cons. Uh, I know, like, this is going to sound sort of dickish, and, it, and it's not meant to. But uh, right now, there is a con in every city, you know, every weekend. I would, if you're trying to get into comics, I would focus on going only to sort of the bigger shows, which would be like C2E2, uh, New York Comic Con, Emerald City. Those, like, those are kind of like the three big ones. Like, San Diego is the big show that everyone knows about. But it's so easy to get lost in the noise there. Even when I go there, I don't even see half the people I'm supposed to see. So, like, it's really, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend San Diego for someone trying to break in. But New York, uh, Emerald City, and, um, and C2E2 are good just to go sort of shop around and meet other creators. Like, the one part of networking is meeting other creators is definitely good. Like, you know, you start building a, a network of people whose work you respect which I think is different than the idea of going out there and just networking. Like if you're right. out there with a purpose, get into the industry, <laughs> climbing that ladder. Uh, comics is really good for like sniffing that out and being super distrustful. And it's more of an industry of people who, who um, especially starting out, who really like each other's work and will sort of, you know, push, push their friends, uh, which sounds weird and um, probably losing the word that I'm looking for here. It, it sounds like it's all cliquey and hard hard to break into, but they're, the people are friends with other creators because they like their work. It's not like, you know, hey, this is this dude I went to high school with. I'm going to get him a job in comic. It's, it's through just reading other people's work and appreciating it and pushing them. So networking for that, you know, go to cons, talk to, talk to creators who are sort of starting out and maybe, you know, in the same place as you or just a little bit uh, further along than you. And, uh, you know, just show show work. Always have work to show. That's a big thing. I can't tell you how many times people will come up to my table or booth or wherever and tell me about a project that they've been working on for six years. I don't know why six years is a magic number, but it seems to always be. It's always six years, and they never have anything to show. They're like, oh, you know, they're still developing it, and there's nothing to talk about at that point. You have like ideas, right. which I don't want to. I don't want to hear. I want to see work, and I think it's the same for everyone. Do you, uh, I mean, that's a good transition to writer's block. Do you, have you ever had writer's block or I used to, um, especially when I was doing like creator on work where the, um, schedule was a bit more malleable, like where I didn't have hard deadlines. It's easy to get, you know, get in that moment where you're like, I can't think of anything. I'm just going to go, I don't know I'm going to go read or go out for lunch or something like that. And you sort of put it off. I think. Now, because I'm doing a lot of work with Marvel and I have uh, very hard deadlines that I have to hit because there's artists waiting for me, I don't have it as much. This is part of why I get into that sort of weird, like breaking everything down page by page rather than like before I used to do these sort of more global outlines that would be like, this, will, this is what happens in this issue. Because that gives me sort of a roadmap to work off of. Right. It makes it a lot easier. And the times where I do get roadblock, I, roadblock, sorry, uh, writer's block, I do uh, generally what I'll do is I'll sit down and write anyway, and I'll just write garbage. And I'll just keep writing garbage until it's not garbage anymore. And then I'll go back and fix or delete, you know, the stuff that I'd written before it started to get to a point where I was happy with it. So I think, I think just keeping your ass in the seat and, and, and fingers on the keyboard is the key to getting past it. I'm not going to get past writer's block sitting in the living room playing doing. Um, are you cool with me asking uh, some questions I like to refer to as a series of seemingly random questions? Okay, let's see. Let's, All, right. Let's see. All right, here we go. Number one, uh, so I read an article on, I think, CBR 
where they cited you uh, as saying, it's still surreal to me that I'm currently writing some of those great characters that I grew up reading. I don't know that I'll ever get over that feeling. I hope that I don't. That feeling of writing for the characters that you read, uh, can you describe that? Do you still feel that? I still feel that. Um, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Like for me, I grew up a Marvel kid. Like I, I read Marvel comics. You know, I got a second job in high school so I could buy more comics. I've always been this this guy watching and like being Canadian and, and growing up in the eighties, you know, there weren't a ton of Canadian creators that I was aware of at the time. Uh, and then Tom McFarlane came around and, and Tom McFarlane was like a God to me back in the day. Uh, he was one of the founders of image. He was one of the, to me, one of the greatest comic artists back uh, late eighties, early nineties. It, it was weird that it made it seem possible for a Canadian to, to work for Marvel. He was not the first, Canadian, but he was the first that I was aware of. And so, yeah, I went through like uh, 80s, 90s, and then mostly aughts reading Marvel and just being this fan. And, and the closest like comparison I could think of for it would be like if you grew up being a Yankees fan, like a hardcore Yankees fan, and then, you know, you grow up and you get to play for the team. That's sort That's of crazy. what it feels like to me. You know, every time a, a comic release, it's like I'm, I'm stepping out on the field going up to bat and it's still it's just super surreal it's weird because I, I live in a small town with only one comic book store and i don't deal with it uh on a daily like in my personal life but you know marvel will fly us out for for writer summits where we you know we'll sit around with you know all the their exclusive writers and editors and such planning out what's coming up over the year and you know the first time i'm there I'm looking around and there's, you know, writers who I'm just an incredibly huge fan of, like these guys who I've been reading for a decade plus, you know, some, in some cases 20 years, and I'm sitting next to them in a room discussing story. It's, uh, it's just, it's super surreal to me. It feel, I feel out of, I want to say out of place, uh, like, but I feel, it just feels so weird. I, and I, I it's, have so much trouble putting it into words, but it's just this thing that I wanted so hard uh, for my entire life. And I sort of, I think, focusing on the art, not the writing, was a, was a long derailment for me. So I didn't get to that place until I was past 40 uh, years old. So it feels like, it just feels surreal. It, it's just, you know, I'm older. I think I got my first start at Marvel later than most people do. And I, I'm grateful for it i'm grateful that I, I i push and tried as hard as i did to get there but it's just one of those things where it feels like winning the lottery almost you know every time you buy a lottery ticket you want to win the lottery you think you're going to win the lottery but if it actually happens you know you're shocked and, and that's kind of what it feels like wow second question you recently tweeted uh nothing messes me up more in video games than being at at heights where you can fall to your death spikes my anxiety so hard that i can barely play uh do you have a fear of heights in real life or other fears uh, yeah i i'm not a fan of heights at all but for some reason in video games uh especially it just like anytime when you're um you know you're, when you're up on a height where there's like you know, you're walking along the platform with no sides and you fall off the side you got to jump across one of those jumps that you got to turn and time it just right or else you fall like my palms are sweating just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it just it just spikes my anxiety so hard, and I blame Mario for it. Like all those old uh, Super Mario Brothers games, where you'd have to jump from moving platform to moving platform. You know, the the ones that are going up and down. Some are going sideways. Some you stand on and they drop off the rope or whatever. That stuff used to drive me so crazy and make me so so upset that I, I find it 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 still it's still the case. I don't play a ton of video games either. So, like, usually for me, it's Mario Kart. But I, but Where you're doing, grounded, doing. grounded in a seat. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, next question. If you could have dinner with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose? Elmore Leonard. Wow. That was, you have the fastest response to that <laughs> question that, than uh, anybody else yet. Elmore Leonard is one of my favorite writers of all time. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but... Um, yeah, he's just, and it, one of the things that should have taught me that I, I was maybe more interested in writing is that uh, when I went to fine arts, uh, I ended up dropping out of fine arts after a while. And what had happened, 
I in a used bookstore and I picked up an M1 Leonard book on a whim. I think it might have been might have been when like Get Shorty came out, maybe the, the film Get Shorty. No, it was actually definitely before that. I remember why the hell it was I picked up an M1 Leonard book. I guess it doesn't really matter, but I bought an M1 Leonard book. And I got it home and I read the entire book in one day. And then I went back the used bookstore and I bought all the online liner books that they had and I went to every used bookstore in town. It ended up, it's got a huge catalog. So I think I ended up buying 20 plus online liner books and I didn't go to school for two or three weeks where I just sat at home and was chewing through a book a day of his. Like I was just became completely obsessed with him. His sense of like dialogue is incredible. His storytelling is, is just spectacular. His characters are amazing. Uh, uh, he's since since then, since whenever this was like ninety four, ninety five, I've been a huge fan of his. He's been a huge influence on my work. Describe next question. Describe the life of a writer. Um, the lifestyle. Are you out uh, getting coffee with other writers, or are you, you know, is it is it a life of solitude? Are you, you know, what is it like? Uh, it depends. I was in Vancouver for twenty years before moving back here two years ago. And there, I used to you know, work out of a studio where there was a couple artists who would come in. You know, generally, we'd just all plug in our headphones and ignore each other. <laughs> you know, we were all there. But um, for me, it's, it's pretty solitary. The more solitary, the better. I like to, like right now, we're just renting a house in my office. It's unfortunately also part of the, the bedroom. So, you know, it's hard for me to work at night when my wife's, work, uh, my wife's asleep and so. stuff. But before we were living in a place where I had my own office where I could sort of sequester myself. And for me, that's what I prefer. I just like, I like to wake up in the morning. Uh, it used to be I would walk my kid to school and I'd come home and work until she got off school and I'd walk and pick her up. Uh, but now she's older and she's too cool for her dad to walk her to school. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get that in the morning. So I just kind of get up and start working. But yeah, I, 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 it's pretty solitary. It's pretty quiet. And, because of that, when I'm not working, I'd like to get out and hang out with friends or whatever, just hang out with family, go do stuff, rather than just sitting in the house all day. I think I, I've often thought about, like, you know, even with this movie, we were looking at a place that was in PEI on Prince Edward Island. The house was crazy affordable, uh, so cheap that we could almost just buy it outright. And um, I thought about, like, you know, it's kind of a little bit in the country. Uh, on a small island, I thought, you know, that'd be great. I could just sit there and just write and not have any distractions. But I honestly think living that sort of lifestyle for me, I would be, you know, two months out from being Jack Nicholson in The Shining. <laughs> I don't think it would be a good experience. So for me, I, I like the solitude. I like being at home alone, you know, for, for about six, seven, eight hours. And then after that, I, I need to have some sort of human contact or else I, I think I start to go a little bit stir crazy. Next question. Did I answer that? Did I oh, answer that no, no, you, you 100% answered that. Um, and these questions are up to you, too, how you want to answer them. Um, which leads me to the next question, which is, what is something about your work that nobody knows? Man, I don't even know. <laughs> That's why I say it's up to you how you want to answer it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if there's something about my work. I, I think there's one thing that I've sort of gotten out of that... Uh, People go back, they'll, they'll, they'll notice. Is um, I, uh, I was doing for the longest time what I used to refer to as a bris and barf, where I noticed that in every single first issue I wrote, for a period of like three or four years, somebody barfed in the first issue. Wow. I don't know why that happens. Uh, and that's not a huge secret. People can find it there. But it was, a, it was a weird thing that would always just happen. So when we would get sick, somebody would barf. And I think it even carried in over into my Marvel work, where people were, you know, end up going up but uh other than that i don't think you know the only real like secrets is like you know in my day-to-day -day life i listen to a ton of hip-hop but when i'm writing i basically listen to like, yoga music like i'll throw on like yoga mixtapes basically like for, uh, on the you know, blanking out on spotify i'll find yoga mixes and just throw them on so I would like to listen to Enya and stuff like that all day. Just because it's like and peaceful I, and it's tranquil. So peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. But then like I get in my car and I'll throw on like Ice Cube at full bus or something like that. You know, like 90s Ice Cube. Those aren't really secrets. I don't think there's any real, real big secrets uh, 
that would probably surprise him. So what's up next? I know you had, you had mentioned you were working on something next. Do you want to plug that? Yeah. So right now I'm working on old man Logan, uh, at Marvel. Uh, I have a series called extermination, which is sort of an event book that's coming up, which will be sort of the, uh, for those who read Marvel, the original five X-Men were brought from the past to our present to sort of help influence the present day X-Men who might have been on a, a dark path or some of them were on a dark path. And those young X-Men have stayed here for five years now, I guess, going on six. And so this series will sort of, I, I want to say it's, it's like the closing chapter on that. It's, it's a final chapter. It deals with the sort of uh, real life in the comic, real life repercussions from these kids being here, not being in their own timeline, and what uh, you know, what that sort of fallout is going to look like, and how dangerous it actually is for them. I can't say too much about it, but it's uh, it's just fine. It's just it's going to be it's going to be exciting though, and not all the X Men are going to make it out of there alive. Awesome. Well, um, did you also want to plug your your own Twitter and, and website? Yeah. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's just at Ed Brisson, E-D-B-R-I-S-S-O-N, nice and easy. And uh, I have a website, which is just edbrisson.com. That's mostly just like upcoming con appearances and all that sort of jazz. Awesome. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, obviously, we just right. I think we just covered the, the tip of the iceberg on, on your writing and, and all that, but maybe we'll have you back on soon. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you, Ed. And uh, thanks to everybody listening. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.